Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad that you decided to come in and listen. And if you haven't listened, uh, I'm glad that you're a first-time listener and that you've joined. Um, if you're in any kind of danger, we certainly don't want you to listen to this podcast. Please find a safety plan, call 911, um, or if you just need some assistance from a uh, advocate, they, there's a 24-hour hotline, and that number is 1-800-799-7233. That is the National Domestic Violence Hotline number. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. I'm very excited today because I have a very special guest. Her name is Julie Owens. Most of you know her, and for those of you who don't, she is a survivor advocate of 30 years. She has 30 years of experience. She's an acclaimed speaker, a consultant, and trainer in the United States and nationally. She is a domestic violence expert, and I'm so happy to have you, and I hope that you give me permission to record you, Miss Julie Owens. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here, Missy. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, so I, um, I think that, you know, we had just spoke about, you know, talking about mental and emotional abuse and coercion and different things like that on the podcast, but any, just anything else, because you know so much, um, because you've been doing this forever. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, I'm glad you brought up, uh, coercive control because I think it's extremely important. Uh, I really think uh, most of the public doesn't understand what domestic violence is. They think it's about getting hit. And, you know, when I say the public, I mean even victims a lot of times. Because I remember when I was uh, in my abusive marriage back in the 80s, uh, I'm really old, I didn't realize I was a domestic violence victim because I wasn't getting hit. And neither did anybody I went to for help. Uh, And that includes uh, marriage counselors, psychiatrists, substance abuse counselors, um, numerous pastors. My dad was a pastor, so I I saw some pastors. Anyway, uh, you know, they all really misread the situation and they treated it like a relationship problem instead of a violence problem because they weren't trained and they didn't know that coercive control and psychological abuse really makes up most of what's going on in intimate uh, partnerships that are abusive. And uh, the coercive, the term coercive control, of course, is more recent. Dr. Evan Stark wrote the book on coercive control uh, and about how men sort of uh, take women hostage in their personal lives. Uh, And it's important to understand this because this is the trap. This is what makes it like a hostage situation. Uh, And there's so much going on and so many different types of abuse going on. But it's not just what, I mean, I would say he for the abuser and she for the victim. But it's not just what he does 
to her. It's what he takes from her. Because coercive control is basically taking over her life. And we've all either been there or heard about it, where uh, the abuser uh, tells her where she can go and where she can't go, who she could be friends with, how to dress, what to wear. Uh, you know, sometimes their uh, victims are literally confined to the house, uh, take all her money. And uh, what makes it so really horrific is that abusers, because of their intimate relationship with her, they know all her secrets and they take them and weaponize them and they use them against her by uh, threatening to tell people uh, about things that she said or done or confided. And um, so victims get trapped. And I, I want people to understand that uh, staying with an abuser is not as simple as being a choice. It's really like a hostage situation. And victims uh, know that if they try to leave, uh, that violence is going to escalate. It always does. And that it's very dangerous. And especially if they've been threatened or there has been physical abuse or sexual abuse, it's accompanied all the isolation and humiliation and control and financial abuse and other things, then uh, they, they're not sure how to, to leave safely. But, you know, back to my story, I was, um, my husband was very uh, controlling. He was one of those who's obsessively jealous, thought I was, you know, having sex with everybody in town, including the bad boy at the grocery store kind of a thing, you know, and uh, didn't want me going here and there and so forth and wanted to control me and monitor me. And I didn't know it was domestic violence. I just thought he's got issues, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, mainly because he was uh, in recovery from alcoholism when we got married. And I really didn't understand it at the time since then. I've worked in that field and understand it. But, um, I, you know, so when I left him, he had started making threats. And that's why I finally filed for divorce. He started scaring me, the stuff he said, but he had never hit me. And... Uh, I guess about 10 days after he finally moved out, he broke into my parents' house where I was staying with my baby and he ambushed me. Nobody else was home and uh, beat me and stabbed me, mm. made me wait at knife point for my father to come home so that he could uh, kill him. And he told me exactly what he was going to do to him. And he tried. And it was a, it was a really gruesome, uh, experience as you can imagine and horrific we're lucky we survived it and um, that's when I started getting my education about domestic violence it wasn't till I sat down in a room full of other victims at a support group and they were telling the same stories their abuser was doing the same things to them and we looked at the power and control wheel and I realized this is domestic violence I I was a battered woman even though I wasn't hit until I left Mm. I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. My um, my you story. Yeah, it's my. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was no, just no. Say, Go ahead. Interestingly, you know, we survivors, we do have a lot of common experiences, but every every situation is different, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, not not every abuser is the same, but most of their tactics 
are the same. Right. It's like they read the playbook, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like they all got together and they they kind of like, you know, they knew how to do this or, you know, <laughs> it, they, they all are friends or something in this little society or something. But, yeah. In my support <laughs> group, the first night I went there, I, I remember looking around and going, oh, my God, were we all married to the same man? But, yeah. You know, and, and, uh and, and then, I, of course, I, I went on to study and learn and became an advocate and worked in the field. And I learned that there is a profile mm-hmm. of an abuser mm-hmm. uh, and that we know most of the primary characteristics of someone who abuses their intimate partner. And for, for victims, there is no such thing because anybody can be abused. What we have is a list of common uh, symptoms that they've been abused but that's not what got them abused in the first place that's the results of the of the trauma and of the abuse mm-hmm. yeah um my i did not get stabbed but i got my throat slit but when he mm. slit my throat he slit it with the dole end of the knife and and you know i don't know if you've ever cut yourself or ever been cut with a dole and it burnt you know mm-hmm. and then after yeah. he burnt me he was like well next time it's going to be with a sharp end wow you know that was the threat i had stitches in my neck too because he held me right. at, mm-hmm. at knife point you know mm-hmm. so that i couldn't warn my father but i don't want to traumatize anybody by right. telling the gory details of my situation but um you know it the things that you and I experienced were horrible and gruesome and traumatizing, but I don't want to minimize the experience of those who, you know, haven't had weapons mm-hmm. used on them because I've known many, many uh, survivors over the years who I think, you know, had a much harder time and, and more torture because uh, they were they were with they were living with this person as this person's essential prisoner and slave mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years and years and I, w- I was fortunate that I was married less than two years and I was separated for six months of that right. um, so I got out relatively unscathed mm-hmm. and because I didn't have an abusive childhood I had a great family support I was I was able to bounce back quicker than someone uh, who who uh, had a prior trauma history because trauma is like layers of an onion. The more you have, you know, the more the next thing traumatizes you, wow. and uh, it's cumulative. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was very fortunate that way, but. To me, survivors are the most amazing people in the world. We are smart, we're resilient, we're brave, we're strong, and we don't always think of ourselves that way, sadly, because, you know, our abusers for so long have told us we're stupid, we're bitches, we're this, we're that, that it's like being brainwashed. It only takes Mm -hmm. 21 days to brainwash somebody. And so... Uh, most most victims and survivors blame themselves. They believe a lot of the stuff the abuser has said about them and to them. And, you know, they've just been beaten down. But uh, so, you know, part of healing is to uh, undo those lies and to learn who we really are and realize that we 
were brave. We were strong. And even when we did things that we weren't proud of or we wish we hadn't done, it was in response to abuse. It wasn't, it didn't make us abusers because we weren't doing it out of power and control. We were doing it out of fear and resentment. It's what we call a survival behavior reaction. But a lot of times, you know, people will look at a survivor or a victim, somebody who's being abused by her husband or boyfriend, and they'll go, wow. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, look at her. She's, she drinks. She uh, beats her children she yells she won't sleep with him this you know and they look at all of this stuff all the survival behavior you know she she uh sleeps with a gun or whatever whatever and they go my god no wonder he beats her they get it totally backwards right they don't realize that this is this is what happens when you live like a hostage this is what happens when you live in a, a in a a, a, a culture of violence and uh, terror and um we know that stockholm syndrome and traumatic bonding is very common Mm -hmm. that the longer someone is with an abuser and the more abusive and terror terrifying that person is the less likely they are to leave them uh and we know this from research and i i completely understand it because sometimes leaving uh is more dangerous than staying, believe it or not. And I mean, that's when most of the homicides occur. Right. So, <clears throat> you know, it's irresponsible to say to somebody, just leave, just leave. Mm-hmm. Well, you could be getting her killed. Mm-hmm. She needs a safety plan. She needs support. She needs to leave without him knowing that she's going to leave. She needs to be able to leave safely. And um, what upsets me about people who treat domestic violence like it's a relationship problem or marriage problem Mm -hmm. is that they're not focused on safety you know you can go to great therapists psychiatrists psychologists pastors or whatever but they're going to focus on saving the relationship they are not going to focus on safety and in fact this is what really upsets me about the whole new trend toward uh calling this narcissistic abuse Mm -hmm. um because because If you go that route, it's domestic violence is what it is, but it's been given this shiny new name. But you know what? When you read about narcissistic abuse, they're not talking about safety. Mm -mm. They're not referring people to the domestic violence programs. They're going down this mental health rabbit hole about why he does what he does. And you know what? It doesn't really matter why he does it. The fact is he is doing it and it's increasing in frequency and severity over time. Right. And safety has to be the focus. Exactly. I agree a hundred percent. You know, I I've also saw that myself and I think, you know, it's domestic violence. He's he's being abusive. He's being mentally abusive. So what are you trying to get at? That, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like that they're trying to uphold a narcissist. Like they're trying to pick it apart. And like you just said, going down a mental health rabbit hole. Well, yeah, but he's he's still abusive. It's still domestic yeah. violence at the end of the day. And you know what? I've 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 done uh, podcasts and and uh, talks on this subject, and a lot of people get upset with me, mm-hmm. survivors especially, because. When they start reading about narcissistic abuse and narcissists, um, 
they, they feel validated because it's describing their abuser, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't have they don't have the domestic violence education, and so um, when it's when they read it and they're they're told that it's narcissistic abuse, then that's going to be their focus. And the fact is, not all abusers are narcissists. But, wow. but all abusers are potentially deadly, and the focus always needs to be on supporting victims, uh, referring them to domestic violence programs, and focusing on safety, and uh, supporting them in the way they want to be supported. Uh, if if my abuser abuses me because he's a narcissist. Understanding that doesn't make me any safer. No. Right? Right. So, anyway, um, this is just to say that I think we don't really understand abusers. Abusers, narcissists or not, are entitled. Mm -hmm. They're superior. They can justify everything they do. They believe that they have the right and responsibility to keep this woman in line. They, it, the problem is not a behavior problem. It's a belief problem. Mm-hmm. Abusers believe they are superior mm-hmm. and that their partner needs to do what they say because they're the boss. And if she doesn't, they have a right to punish her. Mm-hmm. So if you... If an abuser is going to change, going to anger management is not going to help. Going to a therapist is not going to help. Going getting sober is not going to help. They get just as drunk with their friends and don't beat them up. This is about believing they have the right and are entitled to it, and they give themselves permission. If they are going to change, they have to scrap their belief system and start over with a value for partnership and mutuality and see their partner as an equal. And the reason very few abusers make a dramatic change is because how many people are going to do that? And the Mm -hmm. only place, if it is going to happen, where it will happen is if they go to a domestic violence batterer intervention program where they teach them all of this about power and control, about privilege, where they confront them and uh, on the fact that they make a choice each and every time they abuse. They're not out of control. They take control. Right. They don't do it because they're angry or mentally ill or drunk or traumatized or have PTSD or any of that. Mm-mm. They make a choice. They don't do it to the neighbors. They know what they're doing. And men who are in a batter intervention program will tell you that. Ones who are being honest, who are really working on their issues, you know? And yet, the public and most victims believe that he can't help himself. Mm -hmm. And because victims are so sweet and nice and loving, they just, they give them chance, you know, Mm -hmm. and try to help this person they don't want this person to ruin their life they want they don't want to leave their relationship they just want the abuse to stop right mm-hmm. and um what what we've learned from research is that victims usually won't leave their abusers until they have traded that pity for contempt mm-hmm. in other words 
they have to go through it for so long that they get so sick of it that they no longer, you know, really feel sorry for him or are focused on trying to get him help. They're just, they're just angry wow. and, and, and disgusted with how they're being treated. And if, if they're going to leave their abuser, then that's, that's the point where they will. But a lot of victims don't leave their abusers because they know deep down that it's safer to stay sadly. Wow. And, um, there's been research done, um, that has uh, established that there are two primary types of abusers. And uh, this research by Jacobson and Gottman, they wrote a great book, uh, When Men Batter Women, uh, describing their 10-year study of 200 couples in the lab. They had them hooked up to all kinds of equipment that monitored their heart rate, their blood pressure, and all this. And they found out that most of the abusers, when they when they got into arguments with their partners and they their blood pressure goes up, that you know they they become very agitated. But then there's this other group, and they called them the pit bulls. And then there's another group, and the more violent they became, the calmer they became. Their blood pressure actually went down. Hmm. And these, they called the cobras, you know, they would wait and plan and strike. And uh, victims didn't leave those, uh, Mm -hmm. but they usually left uh, the pit bulls. It's very interesting. You know, um, I do not believe in ever telling a victim to just leave, call the police, Mm -hmm. go get a restraining order, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Because our advice might get somebody killed. I don't know what's best for her. I don't know that if she calls the police, she's not going to be the one to get arrested and it's going to end up losing her custody down the road. I don't know that. So what I want to do with victims is I want to give them all the facts. Here's what my experience is. You know, I've worked with many, many victims and survivors, and some of them find this helpful. Some find this helpful. I found this helpful. But I'll support you in whatever choice you make. But I want you to make an informed choice, you know. Mm-hmm. I want you to kind of know what's available in terms of help and, and what your safety issues may be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and certainly, I think... Uh, I do want survivors to have uh, what's called a risk assessment done, uh, a dangerousness assessment that will determine uh, if they are in danger and if so, how much danger. And it'll rank their abuser and give a, a number between, usually between one and 10 on how dangerous he is. Because, and then they need to get a safety plan by a domestic violence advocate based on the findings. So let me just say for your listeners that uh, there is a free risk assessment online that's excellent. And it's 50 questions about him, about her, about the relationship history and all kinds of stuff. Whether there's, you know, weapons, substance abuse, mental health issues, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and the kinds of things he's done and the threats he's made and all. And what it does, it compares 
her abuser to a big database of known abusers. And at the end, uh, you can register and sign up. It's anonymous, though. It'll actually rank him in dangerousness and give you a report you can print out and re- with recommendations. And I highly recommend that victims do this. I think a lot of times they don't realize that they're in danger. I mean, you and I, maybe, I don't know about you, but I, I was one of them. And sometimes, because you're just numb from it all, you don't mm-hmm. see the pattern that mm-hmm. it's escalating over time. And it helps to, you know, see it in black and white. And it's the mosaic assessment. And so, um, in order to do that, you would go to the website www.mosaicmethod.com M-O-S-A-I-C method, mosaic method dot com. Uh, this was developed by a man named Gavin DeBecker who wrote a really good book called The, the Gift of Fear. So uh, the big things that I think are missing for most victims is a risk assessment and a safety plan. Because once the risk assessment's been done and you can establish how dangerous, not, not all abusers are as dangerous. You know, they're, they're not all killers, but a lot of them are, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you know? You can't go by just the physical abuse that's occurred, right? Mine had never hit me. Yeah. He went to prison for attempted murder, me and my father. And so, you know, I think a risk assess. I think a lot of people don't know, and this is a, again, you know, like the narcissistic abuse. Nobody's going to tell you to get a risk assessment and do a safety plan with an advocate. If you go that route, you might learn a lot of stuff and get a lot of support from others, but you're not going to get the most important thing, which is a focus on safety. And safety planning is only something that a domestic violence victim advocate can do with you. And so that national hotline number that you said, I always say 799-SAFE. That's actually what it is, right? right. And that you can remember it. A friend taught me this. You remember it because 799 is one less than 800. Mm -hmm. So 1-800-799-SAFE. And it's in multiple languages, 24-7. If somebody can call that number, they can find out where they can go get a risk assessment and and help with safety planning. Uh, And there's actually a really good sample safety plan document on the website of the National Domestic Violence Hotline. But a safety plan is a living document. It's not just a piece of paper. It, it changes. It, you need to change it and tweak it as your circumstances change. Mm-hmm. You need to have a safety plan if you're staying with your abuser. You need to have a safety plan if you're leaving your abuser. Wow. I'm doing all the talking. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, don't be. Don't, I need to take a breath. And yeah, you don't you dare be sorry now. Um, but um, yeah, I wanted to kind of like go back to when you said you know abusers you know i don't know what it was you just said but you said something about an abusive man you know he my abuser did not have to drink to be abusive mm-hmm. he was calm cool collective and one of these types that i mean it was all about control and he wasn't jealous mm-hmm. of me around other men he was jealous of me to share me with other people no friends no family nobody like that that was yeah. going to be on my side or no one that would and he, even his mother um was told by my mom well my mother had saw my 
I was black and then he started hiding the abuse after that but uh, I was working at a restaurant and uh, I had lied to her and said no I fell at work with my mother's very smart keen and knew she knew better than that and so she called my job and asked my boss and he said no she didn't fall at work and so yeah and so obviously my mother wasn't thinking about not you know she wound up saying something to his mother she got me right in front of the abusive man her son and said why are you running around telling your family my son's abusing you oh yeah I know so, you got retaliated I did. That. I did. Yep. He took me right home and beat the far out of me. Well, oh, actually, so sorry. he took me down the road and right in front of my, my cousin was behind us driving. She so happened to be in the vehicle behind us. And this happened in Oneonta, Alabama for my listeners, because I know some what Canyons listen. Uh, my cousin was behind us and saw the event go down and he busted my face against the window and whenever I got out at Walmart, of course, I had a white shirt on and it was just, just soft and blood, you know. And, of course, she was begging me, please get in the car, Misty. And I was frozen. He was saying, get in here. You know, he was on the other right. side, you know, being controlling and all that. And so, of course, I left with him. And um, But he wasn't only just physically abusive. He was severely mental abusive like he severely held me captive severely caused me um a lot of trauma like severe trauma right that i blocked out seriously i blocked out I'm for so sorry several. i'm glad you made it out oh safely. gosh me too girl me too because i well, i look back on that time and i had a baby involved and so i was going through postpartum i didn't even know what postpartum was i was 18 years old just turned 18 when I had a baby, um, got with him, got married. And so my brain was just like, a, you know, I was just a young girl. My All brain right, was still right. developing. And here I had this big, bad, right. whatever you want to call him, just tearing me apart. So I lost right. who I was. I lost that girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't even know right. who I was. You know, and we do. We become different people. Mm-hmm. Uh Oprah says you become a new you and uh, in some ways I think you know we learn a lot from it and we we take a lot from our those experiences and in some way um, we you know being a survivor Mm -hmm. is a we realize right. how how much we've learned. It's not the school I want to go to, right. but what, <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I would Let me stop us real just- quick. Hey guys, if you got cut off, we're back. Hey Julie, do you remember what you were saying? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh gosh. But, Ta- talking I, about Oprah. Yeah. I was and what she says. The thing about being a survivor is we uh, we we're, we'll never be the same. Trauma changes us, mm-hmm. but sometimes we're actually stronger, smarter, and better on the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go through it again. I don't want to go to that that school you know mm-hmm. it's right. not something i would uh wish on anybody but um we change and we do become a new you and uh the trauma is real um i had bad ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder as i'm sure you and many mm-hmm. others listening did and uh i was very 
fortunate and privileged to be able to be the uh, director of two research projects with victims and survivors at the National Center for PTSD, which is part of the VA. And working with survivors who had all had PTSD and learning how to help them really heal was an amazing experience. And it taught me that even though you're changed and you can't change what happened, you can heal. You don't have to be miserable and live with the, uh, the torture of post-traumatic stress disorder the rest of your life. And there's all kinds of new therapies and ways to get help. And I want survivors to know that. I want them to have hope. Uh, I had PTSD, but I, I haven't for since 1990. <laughs> That's how long I haven't had a PTSD dream. Uh, so there, there is hope out there. Yeah. But uh, a lot of therapists and mental health folks, they, they don't know what you need. You have to go to somebody who specializes in trauma mm-hmm. and uh, not always needing you to talk about the trauma. Trauma informed yoga is very powerful. It's been found to be more effective than a pill ever created for post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, it's just, that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of new therapies that are around where the trauma is kind of stuck in the body and learning to heal the trauma, which in turn heals physical ailments, diseases, and symptoms, because trauma can actually make you physically ill, especially autoimmune diseases. So it's very important for for survivors to know this and to know that you know they are not they're not sentenced to be um to have to live in a uh in a a way that is unhappy and unhealthy and um unpleasant you know mhm definitely yeah um i actually after i got away from the first abusive relationship with my baby's father um i got directed right back into another abusive relationship um he wasn't physical but he was mentally abusive and then he also led me down a road of drug abuse um i wasn't strung out like per se i didn't go out here and steal i didn't have to have drugs every day but it was a social drug addiction it was something that i did to numb pain because I did look I didn't know what to do when I come out of I didn't even know what domestic violence was back then and then when I come Uh out of it I was just like I was so traumatized I was in a state of shock I really was I was in a state of shock and I didn't know what to do and I you know I I, were self-medicating yes I was self-medicating and um you know I remember times where I didn't even and I went through an eating disorder because of it very common yeah and so I didn't I didn't realize you know how I was going to actually break free from this and then you know later on down the road you know when I hit my 30s I started becoming very sick 
like my yeah, my I've lungs started yeah my lungs started failing and I got on oxygen and you know and different things happened to me throughout all these years and and I had actually wanted to be an advocate even in my 30s but I just didn't know how to go you are an advocate yeah yeah I am now you know <laughs> I am now and <clears throat> but it took me many years to heal and it, and it took me about three or four years to do some very deep searching in my soul and figure out mm-hmm. what it really was that how I needed to release the trauma. How did I need yes, to get rid yes. of it? You know, ever so often I'll have a little bit of a, a moment, you know, I'll have a day that's not really well, but all in all, I'm pretty solid now. And that's so, awesome. yeah. And so I, I just, I contribute that to my spirituality um, because yep. I'm yep. very spiritual. And so, um, and and so I believe in Jesus Christ, and and I go to Him a lot. So I have visits with Him, and um, yeah, and so He's helped He's me. He's a healer, and He has helped me heal a whole lot. Yeah. And so there's well, not a day that goes by I don't think I ask Jesus. I ask Jesus every day to heal me a little bit more. Yeah. So. Right. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, my dad was a preacher, a yeah. pastor, and I have. Uh, trained pastors and churches and started a faith-based shelter and all although most of my career has been in the secular domestic violence world I've worked in both I've done a lot of writing and uh etc about uh for pastors and I think that um they really desperately need to be trained and to understand this because they always focus on saving you know the marriage but I want to say a couple of things uh before I forget, one is about you uh, getting involved with an abuse, a second abuser. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make it really clear to survivors that they didn't pick their abusers. Mm-hmm. Their abusers picked them. Mm-hmm. Victims don't know they're going to be abused, obviously, or they wouldn't get in relationships with them. I mean, that's the evidence that they didn't know. Uh, but, and a lot of people will go, oh, she always picks abusers. No, 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 no. Abusers pick survivors. Mm. They can hone in on a trauma survivor, somebody who is vulnerable, someone who, quote unquote, doesn't talk back, you know, because mm-hmm. they learned as a child, you know, you're going to get beaten if you do, or they learned it in a prior abusive relationship. So it's very important for survivors to not blame themselves for picking abusers. The, the abusers picked them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing that I think is important. The second thing, you talked about getting involved with drugs and alcohol. Extremely common that abusers will purposely get their partners addicted because they can control them better by Mm -hmm. giving and taking drugs and alcohol and uh it's called coercive substance use it's got a name and it is a form of abuse a very insidious horrible form of abuse i know a number of women who've been abused in many ways uh whether it's by getting them hooked on uh painkillers alcohol um illegal drugs and sometimes abusers you know how women will sometimes go to a bar and something will be put in their drink Mm -hmm. and they'll be incapacitated and Mm -hmm. have amnesia they don't know what happened to them but something awful happened they got raped usually 
Okay. That happens in intimate relationships and, and uh, sometimes, and, and victims don't realize that that's what's happening. They don't, they feel crazy because they can't remember stuff. They know stuff happened. They don't know who did what because they've been literally drugged. Wow. And so uh, th- th- these kinds of things are not the kinds of things people think about when they think of, you know, domestic violence. But but that's so common. I actually worked for three years in a women's uh, substance abuse treatment program, and I learned a lot there. Uh, and, um, you know, the the kinds of things that survivors deal with, these things are these are normal responses mm-hmm. to abuse, you know, mm. um, the, the, using drugs and alcohol, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. In other words, you know, nightmares, fears, avoiding a lot of things. The eating disorder is classic. Uh, I've known a number of uh, victims and survivors who had eating disorders. And uh, it's because it was the only thing they could control in their life, wow. you know. Yeah. And, you know, so there are many different um, ways in which the trauma manifests. I want to say uh, something else, if you uh, don't mind, and yeah. it's about uh, what's called trauma bonding. Yes. People think that uh, victims don't leave because they, they must like it because they don't leave kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But... Um, obviously not true i mentioned stockholm syndrome earlier which is a it's like it's a psychological uh phenomenon in which a person gets bonded to the person who's taken them hostage it's called that because it actually there was a bank hold up in stockholm sweden back in the 70s mm-hmm. and the the people that were uh that they took hostage worked at the bank and they they strapped bombs on them and they, they said they were going to blow them up if they didn't cooperate. And this mm-hmm. went on for days. And uh, they actually fought off the police and they sided with their abusers. And the reason they did that is because they knew their lives depended on it, not pissing them off, right? Yeah. And so that, that's what happens with us. Uh, we bond. If, we, if we're with them enough and the abuse is bad enough, even if it's not physical, what happens is we become bonded to our abuser in a very um, unusual and powerful way. And because they run everybody else off and they're like all we got left, they become, they're like all we got. So, you know, losing them is like losing yourself. And because they, they tell you who you are, <laughs> that you start to see yourself through their eyes. And so uh, this is, uh, this is called trauma bonding. And the experience that victims have is very similar to what happens with prisoners of war. If you look at Amnesty International, that organization, uh, and they list uh, the symptoms of being a prisoner of war, you go right down the list, and that's being a battered woman, you know, in a relationship where they're trapped. And so it makes sense that, that they wouldn't, quote unquote, just leave. It's not like you have an option. It's not a choice. You can't just walk out the door because you could get killed. Wow. And you know it's going to get worse. And so what we do is we trade our escape skills 
for coping skills. Mm -hmm. And our coping skills may be things like drinking, eating too much or not eating. Um, It it can be some very unhealthy stuff, but it's just, it's just a survival reaction. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean there's anything wrong with us. So this is called traumatic bonding. And a lot of people don't understand it. They think it's codependency. It is Mm -hmm. not codependency. Mm -hmm. It's trauma bonding. And uh, I train a lot of counselors and people about this because they're not taught this in school and they don't understand it either. And there's a lot of victim blaming going on. Uh, and assumptions about why somebody's with an abuser and why somebody stays with an abuser. And most of the time, it's victim blaming and it's wrong. Victims aren't codependents. There's nothing wrong with them. They are just victims. Mm-hmm. And whatever they do, they're just doing what they got to do to survive. We don't need to be blaming them for uh, anything. The person to blame is the abuser, yes. period. But what's real messed up is you don't never hear people blame the abuser. And they blame the victims. Right, isn't it ironic? And um, when I had my eating disorder, I was bulimic. So uh, he had told me so many times over again that I was fat and ugly. And so, and also, you know, he even made fun of my body parts, like even in a sexual manner. They were too fat. They were too big, this and this and that. And so... I had just completely, when I purged myself and, uh, and, and did all that purging and all that throwing up and, uh, you know, it was almost like a release. Uh, I was releasing the trauma that was inside of me because I didn't know right. what any else, I didn't know. I mean, and I know that that's like, you know, what people don't want to hear, you know, they don't want to hear the bad part of things, you know. No, it's important. Yes. It's the reality. Right. You know, yeah, a definitely. lot of survivors have eating disorders. A lot of them have problems with substance mm-hmm. use. And uh, what they need is understanding that this is a reaction to trauma. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. They just need healing and right. support. Definitely. Definitely agree a hundred percent. Um, but you know, it, women don't get the support that they need and they wonder why people or why women doesn't come out and talk about things and, and why women are staying hidden. There's so right. much hidden violence because of the fact that they know when they do that it's just going to be a big blame fest. Yep. Yep. And they're not going to be believed. You know, the man's going to ultimately be, be believed because why? He's the masculine and that's true in family father. court. That's true with the police. Look at the Gabby Petito right. case that just happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the young woman who was found murdered right after the police had stopped them. Well, they had pretty much decided, uh, if you look at the body cam footage, that she was the abuser. They were right. going to arrest her. Yeah. She was clearly the victim. He was clearly the abuser. But right. even the police don't get it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not always what it seems on the surface and because uh victims can't tell the truth victims have to defend their abuser they have to lie they have to deny the abuse they have to say i fell down at work instead of telling the truth because Mm -hmm. they know if it gets back to him it's gonna what's gonna happen to them it's what happened to you they're gonna get the shit beat out of them for, for telling somebody and and so that's one of the things that i teach helpers and counselors and you know people who want to be advocates is never never tell anybody else that this is going on without her permission even the police yeah 
you don't have the right. It's, wow. it's her information. You're not mandated to report this. You don't, you think it's going to help? Well, it could hurt. It could even get her killed. Wow. You know, uh, she needs to be the one to decide when and where and who knows about this. And uh, because when you do that, when you take the power away from her, she's already being controlled by him. They feel abused by you. Look what happened, Mom. You got me beaten up. And then it drives a wedge between you and that person, and they may be the only one you got left. Wow. You know? Yeah. So uh, it's important for people to know not to give advice to victims because you don't know what's going to help and what's going to hurt. You don't wow. know what might save her you don't know what might get her killed so what i do instead of telling victims what to do i say here's some of the things that you could take into consideration this works for some this works for others you could do this you can go here you blah 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 but above all else never 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 tell your abuser (laughs) that is the one bit of advice that you're going to leave that i do give because a lot of times you know again we're so nice and we don't want to you know, destroy him. We don't want to take his kids away from him and all that. We'll say, I'm going to leave. We'll give him a heads up. And then that's when stuff shifts in their head and they start planning something big. That's when it gets worse. Yes. And so it's very important to have to work, if possible, work with an advocate uh, confidentially and have a safety plan and then to leave when he's not expecting you to leave and to not go somewhere where he's going to look for you. Right. 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 And that's that's the beauty of shelters. Uh, you know, there are great shelters and there are mediocre and there are ones that aren't so great, but there are a lot of good ones. And um, you don't always have to go to the one that's like in your county or in your state even. There's a lot of shelters um, that will take women and their children and they do, everything is free. A lot of times people don't know that. They're not like homeless shelters where you got to leave during the day and they're they're not clean. They're nice. Most of the time you have your own bedroom, your food is free, your diapers are free, you get counseling, you have a support group, somebody go to court with you. So people really need to understand what, domestic violence shelters do and what they can offer again uh calling that 800 i mean well 799 yeah 800-799 safe you can find out what the programs are where near you where you live yeah but nowadays most of the support groups are online because of the pandemic yeah so victims don't have to wait till they can sneak out away from him and make up a lie about going to a bible study or whatever but which is dangerous They can actually, if they know how to uh, hide their movements on a computer or have to use a computer or a phone or whatever that he doesn't know about, uh, they can actually attend a support group virtually. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things now. You know, back when I was being abused, there was no Internet access right me too you know and and so we i didn't, didn't have cell yeah we didn't even have a cell phone right yeah I mean, right and i didn't have a phone you know so it was virtually you know i was just stuck in a little rural community where there was virtually nothing there was times where i didn't even have a vehicle so me you know too. yeah so i took the keys he took the spark plugs out of the car because we lived way out in the country yeah. in texas and um you know uh Abusers are endlessly uh, 
clever about ways to control you yes. and punish you and deprive you of things. So coercive control, which started our conversation mm-hmm. in the in the first podcast session, is really about taking things away, not just doing things to the victim. It's it's taking things from them, it's taking their freedom, taking their free will, taking their autonomy, their self-respect, uh, taking their money, yes. and taking their friends and family. It's about depriving them of resources right. so that they... They, they can't live because they got nothing. They're going to lose everything. And on top of it, they got to be looking over their shoulder constantly for him. So a lot of victims will say, you know what? I'd rather just stay so that I could keep an eye on him. Because if I leave, I don't know where he is. You know, he could be jumping out of the bushes anywhere, right? I get yeah. that. I do. Yeah. But, uh, I do want to encourage uh, anybody who's actually in an abusive relationship to focus on safety and to reach out to the domestic violence victim advocacy program near you or the national domestic violence hotline to find, you know, one that you can where you can start getting support because you don't have to leave, but we want you to be safe. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, safety is everything. And that's something that I stress, you know, even even listening to the podcast, you know, I knew when I was going into this, I thought, well, if there's women in a shelter, you know, and they want to listen to the podcast, you know, they're in a safe place. But if you've got a woman that's in abuse and she hears about this and she starts listening, you know, God forbid her listening and her abuser comes walking up, you know. Because I can only imagine what my abuser would have did to me if I'd have been listening to women talk about how to leave them and, you know, what they went through right. and this and that. So I always try to stress at the first, the very beginning, you know, if you're in a dangerous situation, do not listen to the podcast, you know. And right. 911 may not be the best thing for you, but be in a safe spot. Be safe, you know, right. always. Uh, you know, we call it stalking by technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such a gigantic problem that there's a special program that focuses only on that and it's called the safety project and it's part of the national network to end domestic violence the safety net project you can look online on the website Mm -hmm. and uh what they do is they they stay on top of the technology because abusers they'll put hidden cameras and recorders and gps they have ways of monitoring knowing what you're typing on your computer you know reading your text messages there's all kinds of ways to spy on somebody and they're easy to and they're cheap and so so often victims don't know when they're being monitored um and it's it's extremely critical to realize that and to not try not to put anything on a computer or a phone that's at home that he has access to because he will you know use it against you there there's a couple of programs online apps actually where if you want to document your abuse uh, it's not safe to leave a diary around your house obviously but you there are some programs that you can go online 
and you can upload the pictures of your bruises and stuff. You can say everything that happened. You put his name, a picture of him, and it's date time stamped so that if you ever do decide you're going to go to the police or get a restraining order or whatever, you got some, you have some evidence. You have a, a trail, a, a evidence trail. Wow. And um, one of them is run, is by the, um, National Network to End Domestic Violence, this organization that I just mentioned. Another one is called the Abuse Affidavit. And so uh, there are a lot of ways that uh, people who are in abusive relationships can reach out for help uh, and get support, but safely, right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I had to walk away for just a second. I didn't mean to, but um, anyway, yeah, you're definitely right. I could hear you talking, um, but you you just got it. You gotta you gotta be safe, and and all the information that you're handing out to people that are listening, these are detrimental things to people. That if there's anyone out there that's been listening that's still in the abusive relationship, they need this information. You need to be jotting these things down because it's important. And safety is one of the main things. It's one of the biggest things that you need to be um, thinking about is your safety. You know, I I, I do want to say that, as I said, a lot of the supports are online now and they're free, right? Support. Yes. There are even ones you mentioned being a christian a jesus follower there are christian ones online that are free and safe and secret facebook groups and so forth uh called to peace is one that i work with and do some training for they have a year-long advocacy academy where you you uh you get trained as a domestic violence advocate and you get a certificate at the end of the year to be a Christian domestic violence advocate. There are others, of course, secular uh, advocacy academies. But I mentioned Called to Peace, and I think I'm going to be on their podcast or something tomorrow because they offer free online support for women who have issues because of you know what they've been taught about scriptures or their pastor says you know you can't get a divorce you know you have to submit to your husband that kind of stuff and so they they discuss all of those kinds of things which you, you know you may not uh find people who have uh specialize in that in a shelter for example so um, you know look at the the secular resources, you know, the shelters and, mm-hmm. and all the other programs, but also at some of the faith-based ones. Uh, or if you are, if you, you know, if somebody's like a, an abused immigrant, right, mm-hmm. and they're uh, undocumented and their abuser is using that against them, there are special programs and supports for them. Uh, so, everybody's situation is different and and the response and things that they need may be different from person to person right and um the lady that i just got done uh podcasting with she's an author and um she was in a a tumultuous abusive relationship with an actual pastor he was a preacher and um yeah yeah and she went through a lot of spiritual 
uh, you know, abuse from him. And so yeah. now, she, you know, she was not married to him. Yeah. For like 19, yeah, I think for like 19 years or so. I mean, it was a good long marriage, but uh, yeah, he abused her and her children. Um, her children are teenagers and they are completely, she's still, you know, of course, spiritual, believes in God, but her three teenage children, you know, unfortunately, they have a problem with spirituality now. And so, of course, yeah, well, because religion, for right? Sure. Religion, and uh, you know. And that, that preacher's going to have a lot to answer for right. because, you right. know, not only did he beat and abuse his family, he caused them to reject God. Right. And that, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes one of these days. Uh, but I, uh, I will say this, that that's extremely common. Yeah. Because if the more rigid and dogmatic and, uh, uh, and, uh, rule based a particular, uh, denomination is mm -hmm. uh the more abuse that there's going to be because wow. women are putting these boxes women yeah. can do this women can't do that women don't speak in church blah 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 blah. and uh called to peace that i just mentioned has many many former pastors wives in their support groups wow. okay we're at another 30 minute mark so i'm going to start us another Hey guys, we're back. <laughs> okay, so number three. <laughs> number three. Of your 30 minute podcast. Well, yes, you hi. know, I enjoy talking with you. Yeah, I enjoy I it really too. I appreciate the invitation. Yes. You know, there's nothing like sharing with another survivor because uh, we're like sisters, even though yes. we've never met in person. It's like we get each other. You yes, know? definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And and some of our, our stories a little bit to me are a little similar in ways. Um, mm -hmm. Just the abuse, um, you know, not so much, but then so much, I guess. I mean, I guess it's just because we both um, we understand domestic violence. You know, I still yeah. have a lot to learn because I'm still wet behind the ears. I don't have 30 years of experience like Miss Julie Owens does, <laughs> but I'm learning. <laughs> oh, oh, your time is coming, believe me. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm old now, but one of these days, you know, uh, I, you never quit learning either. And I want right. to make that clear. I have learned a lot and I have a lot to learn. I yeah. continue to you know, I, I take webinars all the time. I read, I study, I try to keep up. You can't learn it all. Domestic violence is so incredibly complex. Right. And, uh, and you know, philosophies are always changing. New research comes out and you learn so much. And, you know, for anybody who really wants to know more and would like to be an advocate, I really encourage them to volunteer at a local shelter, mm -hmm. uh, maybe to work, you know, at night, a night shift or weekend answering the hotline. You will learn so, so, so much there. And uh, to uh, do one of the online academies, uh, and you'll learn a lot by listening to, you know, to the video lectures and talking with the other people. Uh, like I said, called the peace has one and there, there are others, but, um, there are a lot of ways that we can educate ourselves around, uh, how to help survivors. Cause just being a survivor doesn't, uh, mean you automatically know how to help others. Right. Right. But you will learn from others, you know, the longer uh, you spend in this in this field. Right. I've just been super 
privilege to do all the things that I have done, such a wide variety of things that I've, I've learned from survivors have been my teachers. Right, definitely. You know, um, I, I do want to add something to that. Um, whenever I first started uh, being an advocate or, you know, the podcast and doing advocacy, I was a part of a group on Facebook. And so I was learning, you know, so many different things. And I had took such a deep uh, journey with my healing and I had felt like I had became really good at becoming um, a mentor for other women. And so I ran into a few survivors and I got a very, very bad reception from them. Um, Yeah. And it was not a very fun one. And so they actually victim blamed me. And I was like, what just happened? I mean, they're supposed to be my sister and they're supposed to love me and we're supposed to support each other. And this is not about jealousy. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, they were even putting my podcast down and saying, oh, we're going to do this. And they would come underneath my podcast and what? say something. That, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I got a little harassed from the beginning. You're sticking your neck out. Man. I'm telling you're you. You're courageous. Yeah. I mean, you really are taking a risk. I mean, right. just to be out there in public and talking about abuse. You know, yeah. if your abuser is still alive and on the planet, right. especially. Yes. You know? And so mine is. I really admire you, Misty. I think Thank you're you. doing a great thing. Thank and you. I'm, I, I know you've helped many, many women, you know, that are listening and wanting to um, get more information right. and who need to be validated right. and are not, you know, hearing what they need to hear. Right. But, but my advice for anyone that would like to be an advocate, they need to be healed. Because if you're not healed, you will be toxic spewing all over other women. And that's something that you can't do as an advocate. You've got to be that person for them. That's, you know, support system. And and, uh, I found myself run into a few survivors that had not yet healed. And they wanted to be an advocate. But they, they thought, oh, well, Misty's a big shot because she's doing all this. And I see her doing this. And it was just like they're jealous for me was just it was something else and then I've talked to other advocates and survivors it's like yes this happens I'm like really (laughs) so I mean you know I kind of had to learn the hard way sometimes women just don't support women it's really sad it's called horizontal hostility I learned that word early on uh, in my advocacy training horizontal hostility we women should be supporting each other we we don't need to be competing we have already got men to deal with right Right. we need to have each other's (laughs) backs right and uh you know we don't have to all agree but on things but you don't have to tear somebody down Mm -hmm. nobody nobody needs that and um survivors need they need to be supported they needed to be listened to they need to be uh told they're brave that they're courageous that Mm -hmm. they're amazing you know and uh that's why it's great to have a podcast like this because you validate them Yes. When maybe nobody else does. Right. Misty. Right. Yeah. Um. I've got a good friend of mine, and 
um, her and another lady there, she's also became a friend of mine and they're both survivors. And, um, you know, I did an article in the local paper and, uh, it was a project and I wanted to, you know, the, the editor, she's a, a beautiful lady, so sweet and kind, and she wanted me to bring two survivors in. And so I chose those ladies because they were kind of like closer to me and I, I kind of knew them and I knew the stories. And so I brought them to the local paper. We podcasted and their stories are being published and I couldn't be no more proud of them as I am my own. I think I'm prouder than them of them and their stories than I am my own article. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean? Because, I you know, because I, I'm so proud of how far they came and then, you know, they right. were courageous enough to talk about what was trying to destroy them. And I believe this would be their yeah. first time publicly coming out, you know, and it was just like you saying, you know, it takes a lot of of bravery and a lot of courageousness to actually come out when your your abuser you know is just in the next county over or you know what i mean like still in in your vicinity and you're here talking about him uh right. you know and and his mother still lives in the same county right. that i'm in Not so safe. yeah yeah it probably isn't but you know um i think i'm pretty well guarded now i mean well, I, you've learned a lot about how to maintain your safety and yes, all. Uh, yes. and it, like I said every abuser is different not every abuser is a stalker right yeah uh, an awful lot of them are but not all of them are so I mean people need to trust us and allow us to make the decisions for our lives what we're going to do and what we're not going to do right we're adults we don't need to be told what to do we need you to support us we need you to believe us but we don't need you to tell us what to do. <laughs> no, definitely. I totally agree with that. And, um, but you know, this has been a great podcast and I've enjoyed having you. And I know whoever's listening is going to get so much information. And this is the best, best, best information they could get. A lot of the things that you, you've given us is just, I'm talking about just little pieces of diamonds. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, it's food for the, it's food for the brain. I mean, seriously. And, and, um, I know that so many women are going to hear this and they're going to get so much knowledge just by your knowledge, you know, and, um, because you've been doing this for quite, quite a many years now. 30 years is a long time. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually retired. I've been retired for a number of years now, but I still, I was about to say to you. You're retired, but you're not retired. I, I, I haven't stopped talking, obviously. No. And you're never going to stop talking. That's the advocate. You're an advocate. That's right. And I train and I consult yes. and do expert witness work and stuff like that occasionally. But, I love um, it. you know, no longer full-time and right. I no longer do one-on-one advocacy. You know, yeah. I let the people who, you know, are doing or that's their job now they're the ones that are the better trained than me now because you know like i said things change and right. i want to make sure people get to the, the the experts who are getting current training right right know? definitely well um i guess we'll say goodbye because we've okay. got we've got All plenty right. recorded well, thank you so much <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. I'm happy to talk to you anytime, Misty. Well, I, I sure, sure do appreciate it. And uh, when when I stop the recording, I want to talk to you for a few more minutes before you leave me. Uh, but anyways, guys, please go check Miss Julie Owens' website out. Uh, what is your website exactly? www.mrjulieowens.com. 
domesticviolenceexpert.org, O-R-G. Okay, I didn't have it written down, but I have went and looked at it several times. Um, I haven't updated it in a long time, y'all. Oh, so. yeah, well, <laughs> I know there's there's broken links and things, but it does have some good info. <laughs> yes, it has a lot of very good information. And um, anyways, uh, I just want to tell you guys that I really do appreciate the support. And y'all go uh, promote her episode because we want more and more listeners out here to get all of this great information. And guys, I'll, just, I'll talk to you on the next podcast. And um, y'all have a safe, safe week. And um, bye, guys.